the world of high-performance sports is constantly evolving. As the level of competition gets higher and the pressure to perform intensifies, knowing where to go to develop the knowledge, networks and skills that will lead to more impactful performance solutions becomes even more important for individuals and teams. That's where this podcast hopefully comes in. Here on the Leaders Performance Podcast, you'll hear thought-provoking conversations with practitioners, senior coaches, athletes and sporting directors, the individuals at the top of their game. My name is Henry Breckenridge. I work in the content team here at Leaders and joining me for this episode is friend and colleague and partner in crime, John Porch. JP, how are you? Very well, Henry. Never been better, in fact. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, John. Just gearing up for the festive break. Plenty of planning before that happens, though. We've got virtual roundtables filling the calendar for early 2024. We've got our summit, of course, in Melbourne, which is our second time there. I think that's down to be on the 7th and 8th of February. You go into that one, by the way. As it stands, I won't be going, Henry, but never say never. Never say never. I'm in a similar boat, John. I'm marking myself down as third reserve at the moment. I'm not sure why, but I've, I've managed just to uh, give myself that title. Hopefully, uh, one of us can make it out there because it'd be a cracking trip. Anyway, we digress. That's 2024. Give us a flavour of who we spoke to on this episode, John, and set the scene for our listeners. What did we speak about? Our very special guest was Lydia Bedford, the head coach of the Brentford men's under-18s team. She is one of the few female coaches working at the top level of the English game. Of course. History maker, groundbreaking appointment. She's six months into her role? Six months into her role now. And we didn't dwell too much on the pioneering aspect of her appointment. It was more about the first six months and how she settled into the club and some of the relationships she's built. So she talked about her relationship with Brentford's director of football, Phil Giles. But then she also spoke about how she's joined Thomas Frank's first team on occasion to try and experience that environment as well. And then there's her very interesting dynamic with her assistant head coach, John Paul J.P. Pittman. They both went for the head coaching role in the summer, actually. And since then, they've developed an excellent dynamic in their six months working together with J.P. as her assistant. Finally, Henry, just one more point, really, before we crack on with the conversation. It was fascinating to hear her discuss markers of success. Lydia has a young squad, yet you could hear her pride when she referenced Ollie Shield on the episode who moved up to the Brentford B team recently for a Middlesex Cup second round match against Hayes and Yedding. So it's important for young players at the club to know that there's a pathway going forward. Tantalising stuff, John. She was brilliant. It was great to have her in the Leaders Studio and a great episode to finish 2023 on. So before settling into this episode, which is sponsored by Kaiser, it just remains for you and I to say a big, big thank you to our listeners for tuning in this year, John. Whether you're a recurring listener or here for the first time, we hope you've picked up a nugget or two from the guests this year. Nuggets that can hopefully help you in your role or in your team. Enjoy the festive break when the time comes and we hope to have you back with us in 2024. In the meantime, here's today's episode, sponsored by Kaiser with Lydia Bedford. Enjoy. Lydia Bedford, head coach under 18s for Brentford Boys. Thank you very much for coming on the Leaders Performance Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. Come in after a day at work, so it's been an interesting, treacherous drive across, but very excited to be here and yeah, it'd be great to chat about what's going on at Brentford. Thank you very much. Yeah, you've made the uh, the journey from Brentford to Leaders HQ in Wimbledon, so big thank you for coming on down. First question, Lydia, you're six months into the role, so I've got to ask you to give you a score out of 10. How would you grade yourself? How's things going six months in? Yeah, so it's a difficult one. No one likes to put a, a score to it. I think before I give you a number, 
when I reflect on the first six months, I think back to some of the first conversations I had with like leadership at the club around what was really important to Brentford. And it's, you know, as you'll know, the first time we've reintegrated an under 18s into the programme. And there's an unbelievable building that's been built on site, which uh, when you speak to staff that were here before last Christmas, you know, for them, it's an unbelievable building because before they were in the old pavilion and it was really, really compact. So we're really blessed with a massive building. But that building for the first six months just had two teams. And one of the biggest messages was like, it's it's our job as under 18 staff to make it a really smooth transition. And effectively, not that whole like seen but not heard principle that's quite an old thing. But yeah, like the club really wanted the 18s to seamlessly move into that environment and there to be, you know, logistical problems limited and for them to be just in a really good place around the environment in terms of how they conduct themselves so a lot of that focus was their behaviors and really understanding what it was to be a Brentford player so in that sense I think we've totally cracked it like I've not had anyone knocking my door yet to say you know they're they're unhappy with how the boys are operating and I think we've seamlessly fallen into that environment and as a coaching group we've really we've we've kind of been thrown together a lot of new staff in a big empty MDT trying to work to give the boys what they need and that's been pretty smooth too so I'm going to give it a, a 7 out of 10 and I'm going to give it that because I think everything around the boys is in a really positive place at the moment and the performances are getting loads better as a playing group we've not won loads of games at this point in the season we won our last league game which was great um, so we're really seeing them start to find their feet as a group but there's loads more we can do to put them in an even better place Lydia you moved from uh, Arsenal to uh, to Brentford much to John's chagrin because John is a, a lifelong Gunners fan aren't you John yeah for my sins so uh, is what it is John's okay <laughs> John's okay with it there Lydia but you're operating in a new role, in a new team, new environment, moving from uh, the women's uh, at Arsenal, where you were the assistant coach, to obviously now at Brentford, head coach of the under-18s. Do you think your coaching style has kind of changed with all those sort of new verticals that you're now being faced with? Like, what what's different if, if you could put your finger on anything? I think the main difference is you've gone from senior international athletes to youth players. And the focus, therefore, switches from winning games every week to developing players. Like success for us with the under-18s at Brentford is seeing players progress into the B team and one day step on the pitch for the first team. Or if not, move into an environment on a loan or be sold onto somewhere else. So I think the way we measure success in in this situation is different to what it was at, at Arsenal or at Leicester I was before, where it was very much results-driven. So, for example, like Tuesday night this week, our B team played in a kind of county cup game I think it was against Hayes and Yedin and one of our under 18 stepped up and started the game at right wing back and played the majority of the game and, and was highly praised for what he achieved so that gives you quite a lot of satisfaction as a member of staff knowing that he walked in the building in June July and we've put him in a position where he can go out and actually already assist the B team in terms of what they're doing so I think that's the biggest shift and that that comes a little bit in terms of how you're coaching the players and running the day like the result on the weekend isn't the be all and end all. And definitely from a Brentford club perspective, like the message down from the top from kind of Phil Giles is that it's about developing players and not about the results. And I think you see that a little bit in how Thomas interacts in media. Like obviously results are really important to our first team, but the way that he carries himself shows, I think, the values of the club in that sense. And has that been kind of tricky for you, that sort of behavioural shift where it was obviously about results before, where you were focused on those things importantly? And now it's more about development. Have, have you kind of had to sort of sort of check yourself at moments in, in the first six months with that shift? I wouldn't say check myself. Before I went into senior football at Leicester, I spent seven years at the English FA and 
you know, my job there was to support young female players in their transition to the seniors. And I worked with a large number of our current England senior internationals when they were youth players. And if I think back to their journeys, like they weren't always successful in youth tournaments. So let's say someone like a Lauren Hemp, like I was in charge of the region she grew up in from when she was like 13. And I was a coach as a head coach and an assistant on a lot of her age groups up to kind of like under 18s. And when she was under 17, like we we got knocked out of Euros and we didn't get out of the group in the finals. But ultimately, two years on, she goes and plays an under-20s World Cup and wins a, a bronze medal. And two or three years on from that, she's gone and won a Euro. So really, again, you're being measured by what that success looks like over a long period of time and not just the short ones. I think that's always been ingrained in me. Um, so maybe it's not it's not difficult to find, but maybe it's just reminding yourself it's a slightly different focus to what you've been involved in but ultimately the boys are super competitive so whether it's about winning the game on a Saturday or not like everyone steps out wanting to win the game I just don't need to phrase my team talks much around how important that is they bring that themselves of course yeah so it's like that element of kind of being adaptable and thinking about it long term and hopefully the results kind of take care of themselves yeah and I think we also know that you can get everything right on a match day in terms of your performance and you can not win a game like our first team lost with you know, a last minute goal to, to Arsenal in the last week. And they'll probably reflect on that performance and think it could have gone either way. When you listen to Thomas in his post-match interview, he definitely alludes to the fact that, you know, Arsenal have created enough chances to potentially win it, but so did we. So I think you can get a lot of things right and you can still lose games, whether that's a referee decision or whatever it might be that's out of your control. So you've got to focus on the bits that are in your control. And I think when you keep your focus on that, and you make sure that your emotions, like one of my mentors used to say to me, like never too high, never too low, regardless of the result. And one of the things he always used to say to me is you might finish a game and think that it was terrible or finish a game and think you've played really well. But his phrase was it was never as good or as bad as you thought it was. So like give it 24 hours and go back and watch it. And actually you'll find some real positives that maybe you didn't recognize before or vice versa. <laughs> you'll think you played really well. And when you watch it back with a different mindset, you'll recognize loads of things you could have done better. So I think having that kind of level approach to what you're doing is, I think it's super important in high performance sport because there's only so much you can control. And going back to something you said before, so if it's a match day and you've done everything you can that day, you've really ticked all the right boxes, but the result hasn't gone your way. Can you still sleep soundly at night? Yeah, and I think that's definitely easier in this environment when you know that there's no one breathing down on you for your job if you don't win the game than it maybe is in a first-team environment like I experienced before because there were times when I worked at Leicester, for example, where I knew our performance had been brilliant. Like one of my last games there, we lost 1-0 to Man United and it was a set play that was the difference. So actually, like on the run of things, the performance was pretty good and like we just didn't quite get the result across the line. So I think in that environment, if you'd have asked me about the performance, I'd have been able to say, yeah, I can sleep easy. But ultimately, I know my job's on the line because it's now the fifth defeat. So I think in this environment, you're not necessarily worried about that as an under-18s head coach with the philosophy that Brentford have around what we're trying to build. But for me as a coach, I suppose what I'd always say to the boys is like, I'd much prefer us to lose a game. But from a performance perspective, try and do all the things that we're asking them to do than to go rogue or, you know, yeah, like focus too much on just winning and not actually take the learning from it. So I suppose when you walk away from a game and you know you've lost it, but actually from a performance perspective, you can either see some really positive strides and, you know, maybe there's just a few things that have, have got in the way on the day, then, yeah, I can sleep pretty well. Like we had a fixture the other week where I think we were 2-0 down at half time, and for the first 30 minutes, we were the best team. 
And then they got a direct free kick from the edge of the box and scored it. And within five minutes, scored again. And in the second half, we really had to go at it. And we, you know, we took it you know, right to the wire, but didn't quite do enough to get it over the line. So I think it's in those moments where you focus on actually all the real positives and the way the boys have responded versus the result. And you're one of the first women to hold a senior coaching role at a Premier League team. How does that make you feel personally? Is it just noise generated by the likes of Henry and I and people in the media? Or is it something you're really quite proud of and you recognise how groundbreaking that actually is? Yeah, I think obviously different people have different opinions on it. Like in my coaching career, there's there's lots of different stages that I've taken to get to this point now. And I don't really think too much about the environment I'm in or what that looks like to outside. Like ultimately, you know, as it's been spoken about, I went through a pretty rigorous process to, to be in the role that I'm in now. And I felt a real value from the club during that, that time that made me want to say yes when the opportunity was there. But once you're in the building, like, no one really thinks about how you got there or, you know, whether I am, you know, the only female doing it. It's just about doing the job as, as well as you can. And from my personal perspective, the noise is, you know, it's irrelevant. It's it's now about actually just showing people that the skills that I've got suit this role and on a day to day, making sure that I'm delivering what's needed to make these boys develop and be in a position to move on. Absolutely. And you've spoken about the last six months and your time at Leicester, your time at Arsenal, your time at the FA before that. What do you think have been some of your biggest lessons during that time? Maybe if we focus on your time at the FA, what were some of the biggest coaching lessons from that period? I think the the biggest reflection I have when I think back to the time I spent with the FA and watching now the players that have developed and gone on to compete for our seniors, and it's something I'll always stand by, and I was lucky enough to be able to provide some players of it in my time at Leicester, is that you can have real raw talent, but raw talent needs an opportunity. And that's really difficult in the current day and age from a from a women's professional football perspective because the way the league's expanding, and it's the same for the Premier League, you know, you don't see now many 17 or 18-year-olds starting the Premier League and the women's game used to be, like there used to be space for young players to come through and that's become less and less. But when you look at the players that now go on to represent the senior Lionesses, they were given key opportunities at the right moment that have allowed them to actually bring their talent to more of a reality. Like if I use Lauren Hemp again as an example, at 16, she left Norwich and moved to Bristol and was playing under, I think, Willie Kirk when she first went there, who gave her opportunities to start in the first team as a 16-year-old in the WSL. But you don't get many other players that get that. So Lauren Hemp's got an undeniable talent, by the way, and an unbelievable character, which also are adding to that. But outside of her character and her talent, if she doesn't go there at that point and get that opportunity, then she probably doesn't realise her talent and become the player she is now. And I think that's a consistent... Like I worked heavily with a group of 2003-born players in the England pathway from under-15s through until kind of under end of their under-18s. And there's recently been a player, Aggie Beaver-Jones, who's a Chelsea player, went through the system, has been sent on loan, a couple of different loans, and has come back this season. She's currently coming off the bench for Chelsea and she's scored in the last five games. One goal every time she's come on. And Aggie was a, a really strong youth international, but if she doesn't get the youth contract to go out on loan and she doesn't go to those right clubs where you know she was at Everton last year in the WSL playing, she isn't then trusted to come back and get the opportunity she's going to get. So I see lots of players who don't get that opportunity fall to the the wayside because they need they need someone to trust them. And the more pressure that goes on coaches, 
to keep their jobs and win games, maybe the less opportunity there is for young players to get that. So from an FA perspective, that was a real like learning of, and it's the same when you're a youth international coach, like I've got to give them an opportunity and trust them, you know, when they're younger players to make mistakes, knowing that the longer game is that that's what they need to progress. So it sounds like some of those lessons have come into your current role then at Brentford as well. I think they're super powerful now. Yeah, I think players in in all senses, all of us do, like when someone believes in you and you get an opportunity that maybe you know is like a big thing, like you tend to get that extra 10, 20% out of a player and you've got to earn that, but someone's got to recognise and put that forward. And like I said, the, the lad that played on Tuesday night has been an unbelievable character around the group. He's been really consistent in his behaviours. He's out early, he's doing extras, he's watching games back and eventually that gets rewarded I think and but you need someone to I guess recognize it and facilitate it and you need to be a good judge don't you it's that person's time that player's time right now to have that opportunity yeah because they all want it you know every one of them would have you know bit my right hand off to have been part of the team on Tuesday night but you also don't want to put someone in a situation where they're not quite ready for it and they're gonna maybe get eaten alive in that environment or they're not going to get success so it is it's about planning that opportunity I suppose and I learned that a little bit in my time at Leicester. Had a, a number of young players that we put on like dual reg contracts and some of them got sent to go and play a couple of tiers down but would train with us. And that was like a way of getting them senior opportunities without having to play in the WSL. But there was one young player who's still at the club now at Leicester who at 16 started to get opportunities to come on for the first team. And you've got to pick which games and which moments because one of the things I've learned and it's quite relevant with the Brentford boys is when you put in someone who's maybe inexperienced, but you put them around inexperience, it, it probably goes wrong. So like you might get a friendly and suddenly go, right, we're going to rotate every boy that hasn't started regularly in the league for us. But then actually they, they probably don't get a chance to be successful because it's all a bit disconnected. Whereas when you're giving someone an opportunity, I think you've got to have a wraparound support that means they can thrive when given that opportunity versus sink quickly. So yeah, it's the right time, I guess. It's a balance, isn't it? Challenge and support. Yeah, 100%. And we need both sides of it. And especially at this age group, you know, they're dealing with so much other things in their lives too, outside of football. It's important to remember that, you know, we all go to work and have good and bad days ourselves. So it's no different, you know, and they're probably still developing as individuals. And, you know, there's loads of science around where their brains are at at that age and at what point you become mature enough to really understand the decisions you're making. So there's a lot of, yeah, I guess, understanding and awareness of what different pressures they're going through at different points and how that might impact i do want to pick up on that actually lydia because i imagine pressure testing an environment for under 18s is is quite tricky as you say like getting that balance is is challenging you want to make it sort of stimulating but at the same time you don't want to make it overbearing because it could become debilitative no i'm curious how do you kind of practically go about pressure testing an environment like what does good look like how do you know if you've got it on the money yeah I think it's probably a little bit of trial and error in academy football I think and in youth development people talk about putting bumps in the road like intentionally to try and provide that pressure I think when when you get to senior level the pressure comes every game day right but if we're saying do you know what boys like the result isn't the be all and end all we've got to make sure that we're facilitating other moments within their journey that that do test them so I think you know, for us, exposing a player to go and train with the B team is is a way of putting them outside of their comfort zone. We've had a few opportunities recently where the first team have needed like bodies for set plays. And again, you're just facilitating them walking into an environment where 
they maybe just you know feel a little bit different a little bit less comfortable out of their comfort zone but at the same time they also buzz off it so you know it's a little bit of pressure without too much from our perspective we're trying to look at it across the whole day and it's not just about on pitch stuff so like one of the first things the boys all had to do when they came into the environment was present about themselves at the front of the room. And if I think back now to kind of five months ago and some of them like body language, like just completely looking at the screen and not acknowledging that there was anybody else in the room versus like now we ask them to watch footage of like who we're going to play next, especially if we've played them already, because we can, you know, look back on a game and go, right, how did it go last time? What, what might we learn from that and do differently? And we get them talking about it in groups. We get them presenting to peers. We get them stood up and, you know, I've got this long stick that they use. And luckily I went into a first team meeting every week and Thomas had the same stick. So I was like socially validated. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like even getting them to do those things is putting them out of their comfort zone. I think it's about planning like opportunities too. So for example, we took them to Lommel. Um, we went on the Euro star in, in August and we played against under 21s team. And we were kind of towards the end of pre, well, actually we'd started some league games but we're very young as an under 18s group. Like the majority of our boys are first years and we played in this stadium. And again, like that, that creates a little bit of pressure, but it's still a safe environment because the result means nothing, but there's just some personal pride around and what they achieve. So I think as a staff group, it's about really just trying to work out where we can have those little pinch points and, and then having the support around them to just check how they're getting on with those environments. And yeah, you learn from them and, and you can decide what to put in next. Yeah. Sounds like the timing is like the critical thing, like knowing when you can kind of thrust something on them, which is potentially pressurized, but at the same time, there's no meaning to it. Like you say, training with the first team, I imagine that could come with quite a lot of pressure, but there is, you know, you're there just to support it. it there's nothing kind of riding on it. So it sounds like timing's a big factor there, which is really interesting. Back to the conversation in a moment. But first, a word about our main partners, Kaiser. For over 40 years, Kaiser has been at the cutting edge of the fitness industry. Kaiser Strength products utilize pneumatic technology and dynamic variable resistance, which allows the user to build strength at any speed. And it offers an unrivaled opportunity to work towards any training goal. Kaiser's cardio products are smooth, silent, compact, and designed with the user in mind. Built with Bluetooth integrated technology, the simplistic yet striking design offers unmatched user longevity. Simply put, Kaiser Equipment raises the bar in elevating human performance for everyone. If you'd like to hear more, then please get in touch with the leaders team, who will be delighted to introduce you to the right person at Kaiser. Alternatively, visit kaiser.com to find out more. And now, back to the conversation. And how do you feel as a coaching group when you get something right? You, you know, you trial something, it works, and you think, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, in all walks of life, when, when you see something come together that you know you've facilitated there's there's an immense amount of pride and I think in the role we work in a lot of the pride comes from seeing development occur and you know players achieve or be capable of achieving greater things so when you see a player thrive in those moments and again like I said like Ollie played on Tuesday night and our, the, the feedback that I really enjoyed was about his character and his work ethic and actually on top of that technically he really held his own but then I'm like, you know what, some of the things we've put on his journey so far mean that he can go into that environment and thrive in a changing room of older players. So yeah, definitely it's it's a real enjoyable part of the job. And you must develop an instinct for that as well. You've got an idea before you implement something, whether it will work or not, you think, yeah, your experience tells you that such and such will work. Yeah, I think so. You're 
I mean, the boys probably don't realise it, but they're being watched all the time and not just by us as coaching staff. You know, they're interacting with physios, they're interacting with physical performance staff. And I think it's taken them a little while to realise that everyone's talking in the background. You know, I think they're a bit oblivious to that sometimes. But we have morning meetings every day where, like, generally it'll be about what's going to happen on the pitch and, you know, outside of the pitch, what everyone from the MDT might want to feed in. But that's where those conversations can be really fruitful in terms of actually what do certain players need and we're actually spending the day together tomorrow to do a bit of a half season review off site and you know one of my questions to all the staff is going to be what can we do differently in the second half of the season to really push these boys on and it's just trying to be open you know other staff will have suggestions from environments they've been in that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of and it's you know the physical performance coach can have a massive impact on that and it's getting everybody on board so it's valuing different staff's opinions. And you'll take a lead on that, of course. You've been an assistant coach. You've been a head coach. As you perceive it, what are some of the different skill sets involved? And does one naturally lead to the other? Or does it take something different to want to even be a head coach? I think there there is a difference. I think that I was lucky that during my time at the FA, I started as an assistant before I was a head coach. I remember someone saying to me, and it was when I hadn't been a head coach internationally, I'd just been an assistant, that being a head coach because I covered a few so before I was full-time as a head coach like basically I was a safe pair of hands so suddenly someone needed to go and lead a camp and I'd just get sent and that was great experience for me as a young coach but I remember one of my mentors saying to me like once you've been in there and done it as a head coach and you go back to being an assistant you'll be a much better assistant because you'll be more aware of the pressures that are on the head coach and you'll be thinking more about how you can help alleviate and solve some of those pressures and that's really true so I think they are very different. The pressure is much more direct. The stress levels for a manager are a lot higher than an assistant. Ultimately, maybe in the Premier League and the men's game, if they sat the manager, it's like their whole coaching team goes. But generally in women's football at the moment, it's the manager that if anyone's going to move on, it's the manager and not necessarily the whole staff team. So there is far less pressure on that person. I think the relationship that the assistant has with players is also in some instances, very different to what the manager does. Ultimately, however you try and fluff it up, the players know that the the final decision comes to the manager. So, you know, when you're working with them or trying to develop them, they're more likely to be open with an assistant and maybe say how they're really feeling or what they're thinking than they are with a with a head coach. So I think when when I went into Arsenal, one of the things I actually enjoyed was for a moment in time stepping away from the pressure of being the one that everyone was looking at on the touchline to being able to move just a little bit back from the pressure but to know that because I'd had that experience there was a lot that was going through my mind as an assistant that I could be proactive in trying to influence to support Jonas so one of the first things that I did when I went into Arsenal was sit down with every player and they're in small groups actually because of time um, and ask them like what they wanted to achieve between then and the end of the season why they wanted to achieve it like what their motivation was and and how like I could help and for some of them it was a as it always is you know not everyone loves the manager all the time it depends if you're playing it was a moment to get something off their chest or have a little moan or you know say we didn't do enough small-sided games or whatever it might be but actually some of them are really small wins and I remember saying to the staff in our next tech meeting like one of the consistent bits of feedback is on a match day minus one, they just want to play some small-sided games. It's like a really small win, but can we fit that in? And and ironically, the first time we fitted it in was the day before the Conti Cup final, which the week before we'd just lost to Chelsea in a league game. I think it was 2-0, my first game involved. And then 
seven days later, we went and beat Chelsea in the Conti Cup. And I think I always joke with the Arsenal staff because I was there for 14 days and I got a, a winner's medal. Um, <laughs> but I, I was in, instigated the small-sided game the day before. So I'm going to claim there's some so sort good. of uh, rhythm to that. But yeah, I think also as an assistant coach, just in terms of how you analyse the game, you're sat back. You haven't necessarily got to make the decision, but you can think about what's going on more clearly than maybe the manager on the sideline can. And that's definitely how my brain works. So it's interesting because this week I've been trying to spend a bit of time with our first team as well, which Phil Giles has supported me with. And I went down to a friendly, they played behind closed doors at Bournemouth and I was just an extra body, but I sat on the bench and mic'd up to the media. And it was quite nice to go from under 18s where obviously it is kind of my bag to sitting back again and going, right, what, what are they doing in their shape? What do I think we could change? And and obviously I was, it was the first time I was with them. No one really asked me at half time what I thought, which is fine. But like in my mind, it was quite enjoyable to have that experience too. So I think there's, there's skill sets across both that can be of value in either environment. There's probably a little bit around actually just, you know, what, what is your motivation and do you want the pressure of being a manager and, you know, does your ego say that's the kind of situation you want to put yourself in every day or can you get real good value from being a strong assistant and having that impact but being maybe in the background and managers certainly have to have some proper skill sets to thrive in that environment. I think when you look at Thomas as as our kind of leader, he's an unbelievable character and the way that he carries himself in the media, his calmness, like the way that he speaks, like he definitely has the presence of a manager in terms of how he interacts. So, yeah, I guess for me, having experienced both, I enjoy both in different ways. And I think as my career develops, we'll see you know, which one you fall into from a longer-term perspective. But as head coach now, does it influence how you re- interact then with your assistants? Do you try and give them space? Do you create opportunities for them to be alone with the playing group, perhaps? Yeah, I think I'm really lucky. And, and JP that I work with is an unbelievable coach. He played in um, you know, a really high level. He played at League One and has had a successful career, which is something I don't have. So I think it's really important in any staff group that you have like different streams of thinking and different experiences. And I can't turn around to any of these boys and talk about playing at Wembley and missing a penalty, which he'll hate me for mentioning, but it's something <laughs> we've talked about and joked about. But But he can. So I think in all environments, diversity is really important in terms of having people that can interact with the boys at different points. Like JP's got such a great manner with them. He's almost like a father figure. I don't know if I'm a mother figure or not, but <laughs> he, he, you know, he pulls them into huddles when he's delivering things in training and they just they lap up everything he says. But I think when you're working in a coaching team, it's definitely one of my beliefs that it's not just about one person. And I'm really blessed that, you know, we both went for the head coach job and, and Brentford offered it to me, but they saw real potential in JP and, and felt that we'd actually work really well together. And and we didn't know each other before pretty much walking in. I think we had two days at the end of May when the building was kind of shutting down. And then I went on holiday to Canada for three weeks and he just bumbled in the background. And then we turned back up and three days later, the boys started. But the club got it spot on. You know, we really complement each other in terms of our characters and, and I'd hope if you had him here today, we did joke, should have done a dual one. Like he, he, I know that he feels, you know, that he has real value and input and he's trusted to go and speak to the boys. And as a manager, you don't ever want to be thinking, oh, like, you know, what message is being given there? Or he's so good at just being united in terms of the messages that we're giving and making sure that the boys know that, you know, they're young. Sometimes they look for wriggle room. 
you know, oh, why have I come off at half time? Maybe they'd go and ask him that question rather than coming to me. But it's a really united team. And I think that blends nicely. Well, that's great to hear. And it's it's interesting you talk about your non-footballing background as such. I know you have a teaching background, but whenever we talk to people at Leaders, coaches in different sports in different parts of the world, if they've had an illustrious playing career, they generally say that it works in their favour for about five minutes on day one. They need to have a bit more about them than that. So that's interesting to hear you describe that sort of complementary relationship that you have there. Yeah, I think... It's interesting, like still in most environments that I walk into, you strike a conversation with someone and they'll still ask me, you know, like what level I played at. It's like a go-to question in football. And that's culture, I think, of the sport. And obviously there's been a number of managers that have been players that have been highly successful. And there's some really famous managers that didn't play that have been as successful, if not more. So, yeah, I think it's all about individuals and, you know, what I can't bring in playing experience, hopefully through the experiences that I've picked up and the knowledge that I've got and, you know, maybe my teaching background gives me a better understanding of learning styles or communication or makes me more level in terms of my emotions, whatever it might be, can also have a massive impact on what you're doing. So, yeah, balance is is definitely important across a staff group. Lydia, you spoke earlier on about uh, pressurised environments for the under 18s. From your perspective, kind of reflecting on the first kind of six months at Brentford, could you maybe give us a challenge or two that you faced and sort of tell our listeners how you kind of got through it is there anything that sort of stands out in that opening period which you thought god that was that was really tough and you know this is what I did to get through it I think one of our biggest challenges although I said it was our achievement at the start has been integrating a whole bunch of players into an environment that a large number of which have had a period of time out of academy football before they've come in so it's really interesting actually in the first kind of five days together one of the tasks we did with them was to put this big timeline across the meeting room floor and get them to talk about some of their highs and lows in their career so far. And I think just a bit of shared understanding of where everyone's been, It was, I think it was quite powerful because a number of them got released at under-14s or 15s. Maybe they've spent a bit of time out and come back and getting them just to share about that experience has been quite helpful to them really understanding them as individuals and helping them through that journey. But if I go to challenges... Some of the challenges in our environment have been because they've not necessarily, all of them, come through an academy environment. You know, we've got boys from all over London, some that have relocated to be here. And let's say getting them to understand some of what's required to be a Brentford Academy footballer has been a work in progress, which we've cracked kind of at this point. But it's that going back to that support and challenge, like we have to challenge them to have really high standards and we have to pick them up on moments where they they don't hit those but actually the consequence for that is probably missing football which they don't really like but yeah it's a bit like a parent relationship you've got to be able to pick them up on stuff but then you've also got to be quick to forget it and then the next day treat them again like you absolutely think they're the best thing ever and want to get the best out of them so it's been a fine balance because the players that are in our B team you know they're older you can find them it's much more of a football you know like a traditional football process but these are still young so Reminding myself sometimes how young they are when they do something really silly is important. And then recognising that, you know, at their age, some of the pressures that they're dealing with, I'm not sure if I'd have coped with that at 16, 17 years of age. Like they've moved, some of them have moved out of home at 16 and are living with a strange family in the middle of London. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's like a specific thing where I'm like, we've had to do X, Y or Z, but I just it's that consistent communication with them about what they're doing and 
quickly picking up things that go wrong and then moving on as well so that they know that they've got your support i imagine it's important that you kind of feel uh, like you've got a support sort of network around you to help the players it's not necessarily them just coming to you, you mentioned the assistant coach earlier on in terms of that person maybe having a bit of a deeper relationship with the players and I imagine at Brentford that's that's a similar case with the, the squad you've got yeah and I think that's where the blend of people is also really effective so there was one game this year that that I wasn't at because it was my parents wedding anniversary and the team lost quite heavily that day and I remember on the Monday when we came in, I'd watched it back on the Sunday and, you know, it was just a few things that went wrong. They weren't like anything catastrophic, but it was quite a heavy scoreline. The boys were like wounded on Monday, but so was JP because ultimately he'd been with them and, you know, you're more emotionally attached to it. He probably felt a little bit of responsibility, which he didn't need to. But I remember on that Monday, like I led the review because actually I'd watched the game and back to my comment I made earlier about it's never as good or as bad as you thought it was, I actually picked some real positives about what we did and was able to focus on those. But emotionally, JP and Chris, as the coaching staff that had fronted it, probably still weren't able to see those positives because they were just like, oh, we've gone and you know hit quite a heavy scoreline here. So that's where I think having different people at different points is is really important. Like this week... I sat down with a player who's got really high potential, who is not always consistent in terms of the way that he interacts in the environment. And I was able to sit down with him with the B team head coach in there at the same time. So a bit of a collaboration to go, this is where you're aspiring to go. But actually, just so you're clear, the expectations up here are the same as here. And if you don't get it right here, you're not going there. And I think the players sometimes need to hear that from different angles to maybe accept it. But they also need, like you said earlier, like they need some softer people. You know, we we have a player care who picks up conversations with players when they recognise that, you know, they're looking a little bit down. But I think as a staff group, we've got a really friendly approach, approachful, is that even a word, um, group of people that are quite intuitive to recognise in the boys' emotions and you're with them every day. So I remember in my interview, actually, there's two players that are now in the B team, like asked about how I would deal with a situation with a player that, was like struggling and my answer back to them at the time was if I'm doing my job right I'll recognize it before you even share it so I think that's really important but then it's working out who's the best person to go and influence and sometimes we do sit down and have those conversations like if someone's really wound me up then maybe it's better that JP goes and picks up a conversation with them or maybe it's Chris the goalkeeping coach like you know we've we've all got to support each other to make sure the boys get the best version of us because you know they're human and we're human and different things are going to annoy different people at different points but ultimately we want to keep a really respectful relationship with the boys where we manage ourselves and keep them on track uh so Lydia I've got a quick fire round for you so here are 10 questions I think so looking for one word or one sentence answers probably the first thing that enters your brain okay here we go early mornings or late nights early mornings now didn't used to be (laughs) what does the first hour of the day hold for you Driving to Brentford because it takes me an hour, but then going to the gym. What do you do to de-stress? Take my dog for a walk and drink independent coffee. Your coaching mantra is? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. A trend in high-performance sports that you're watching closely? I think people having great role clarity around how they do their jobs. Best leadership advice you've ever been given? Eat the frog for breakfast. So basically have the hard conversation quickly rather than let it fester and become something that affects the environment. Very good. I'm rubbish at that. But I'll take a leaf out of your book. What would you say is the standout moment or highlight of your, of your coaching career so far? 
I think whilst there's a little bit of pain when I speak about Leicester still, it, it still has to be arriving with zero points and keeping them in the WSL. Very good. If you could coach in one other sport, what would that be and why? Basketball, because actually growing up, that was like one of the team sports that I enjoyed playing the most. The one thing that you're taking into 2024 with you is? As in a thing? Could be anything. Could be a feeling, could be something tangible. Um, God, that's the hardest one you've asked. Uh, I'm going to take my dog with me still. <laughs> Not getting rid of him. <laughs> He's coming with you into the new year. Brilliant. Dog's name? Baxter. Baxter. We'll see you in 2024, Baxter. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Lydia. That's the end of your quickfire round. I'll give you a 7 out of 10 for that one. Very Thank good. <laughs> on a related note, though, I would like to uh, pick your brains on leadership and development, um, two things that are obviously integral in your role and in football. So sort of practically speaking, how how do you go about sort of self-development? I imagine you're you know, incredibly time poor. You're either you know, overseeing matches, traveling to matches, thinking about matches. Outside of those things, how how are you going about developing as a as a head coach? Yeah, I think as a coach over time, I've probably learned an even greater value on what you focus on than maybe I had a few years back. Like when I lost my job at Leicester and I spent four months out of work, it was very much about actually what can I do to get out and be around different environments and learn. And also when I was at Leicester trying to keep the team going in the league, you put all your focus on that and you forget actually what's important for you in terms of your own development. And actually when I finished that year, I remember thinking I was so out of date on all my CPD. So now I'm much more aware of uh, making sure that I create time for that. So even like since September, I've spent uh, the, the League Managers Association ran a a day at Sandhurst and I went left Brentford for the day and went and spent a day there with their um they call it the center of army leadership just learning about how they lead within the army less than two weeks ago through actually Brentford I went with Ben Ryan and Kev O'Connor and Neil our B team coach to a day led by Owen Eastwood who's the guy that wrote the book Belonging like an unbelievable day at I think it was Harlequins and I was aware of his work because I was at the FA when he did a big piece of work with the men's national team. So I kind of see it unfolding in terms of the values. And But again, that was another day where I could just immerse myself in in learning. So I think I'm very deliberate now about making sure that that's a integral part. It's one of the reasons that I spoke to Phil around, can I see more of what the first team are doing and try and add that into my schedule? Because I think you're a product of what you know and who you spend time with and and ultimately, you only know what you know as a coach. So the more people you can spend time with and learn from, the better. And again, one of my mentors used to say football's basically just like seeing things, copying them and putting your name on them and putting them into your environment. So, yeah, it's important to me that I have people around me that are constantly developing me. Beg, steal and borrow kind mm-hmm. of thing. Very good. We're uh, we're coming towards the uh, end of the uh, the conversation, Lydia. But I'm curious before we wrap up to hear from you on some advice that you would perhaps give to younger coaches looking to sort of ply their trade in the game, and perhaps maybe young female coaches that are looking to do that. What kind of advice would you would you give them if they were listening to this? I think the first thing that springs to mind is there's probably no shortcuts, even though everyone seems to want them these days, like time on the grass working in different environments, working under different people as leaders will really help you to understand what it looks like for you. Like aspirationally, one of the strongest coaches I worked under at the FA was Mo Marley. Like she's like the goddess of youth development at the FA. And 
we turned up to an international um, like Euros once and we were based on the same hotel and every senior player that walked past us went and gave Mo a hug. And I was like, I want to be Mo. Like, <laughs> I want to have that impact. But actually, the more I worked with Mo, whilst I love her to bits and still have tremendous respect for her, how Mo leads is not how Lydia leads. And I think it was about actually recognising a little bit like the big bill, still and borrow. You know, you learn loads of things, good and bad, from people that you work under, and then you find your own way. So you need to give yourself time to do that and learn and make mistakes. And I think that then gives you the grounding that when you get into the pressured environments, sees you through in those moments because there's nothing that prepares you for that. No coaching course prepares you for being a manager and standing on the edge of a pitch. And a lot of top-level coaching now is more about leadership than it is about football at times. And so it's really important that you've given yourself some time to embed that. So I'd say, yeah, get out on the grass. And then the other thing I'd, I'd say is get yourself a mentor. I was really lucky that when I um, started playing club football when I was at uni, the coach for the women's senior team that I played for had her A licence. I itinerantly assisted England youth teams and ran like a college programme. So like I had someone who was already operating at the level who was female and I'd say I've not met one female coach yet in the game that isn't open to supporting other young females. Like people land in my LinkedIn inbox asking, you know, a question or can they have a Zoom call for, a, I don't know, a university dissertation. Like I'll always try and support people because I've been so fortunate to have those role models in my career. So, yeah, whether it's male or female, I think it's about trying to find people that can give you advice and really support um, your coaching journey because in football there is a large part of it that is still who you know and not what you know so those connections and relationships whether they're small or big will have an impact and will probably increase your self-awareness of what you're doing and make you a better coach a final question from me Lydia when you get to the end of the season beyond the league table beyond results beyond cup competitions what would represent success for you this season well, first and foremost, and Ryan Peters will thank me for this, it will be the boys having also completed their education to the level that they need to either finish what they're doing if they're second years or be ready to step into year two. I think there'll be another strong part of it that will be seeing the boys as really confident individuals that can you know, walk into a building, make eye contact, shake hands with someone and own a space, which when they first walked in in June wasn't necessarily a strength for all of them. And ultimately, you know, if one or two move towards the B team at the end of the season, then we've been effective in our job. Because if we can provide players that start that journey of moving closer to our first team, then that will be a, a great um, amount of pride that comes from that. There's, there's a lad, Michael, who's, if you look on Twitter, just been offered a five-year contract and I've had nothing to do with his journey. But when I think about actually what that would feel like in 12 or 18 months' time to see one of our boys get a contract and maybe go out on loan and yeah that's why you do it like I always say to people I the results and all of that side of it whilst it's so important especially at senior because you've got to win games and stay in a league but for me it's not the bit that makes the biggest difference it's the seeing the impact it's bumping into players 10 years down the line and them feeling like you've had a an impact on their career and seeing them go on to achieve great things in the game that, that's far more satisfying than a one-off win will ever be in my eyes very good a fitting note on which to end Lydia it's been brilliant to have you in the uh, leader studio thanks for sharing your insights and all the best for the rest of the season with the bees thanks for having me yeah thanks Lydia 